You're listening to the weekly podcast from Solid Ground Church. We hope that this is uplifting and encourages you to take your next step in your relationship with Jesus. If we can be of any help at all, please visit us on the web at solidground.church. Now let's get to this week's message. Yeah, what's up, 930? How are we doing today, Solid Ground? We doing all right? Courtside, you guys okay? We're all right. Great. Listen, good morning. Happy Mother's Day to all you guys. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Thank you so much for being here. Uh, if we haven't met, my name's Bert. I'm one of the pastors here, and uh, it's just my privilege to get to welcome you today and get to share the word with you a little bit. And you have picked a fun Sunday to join us because we are in the middle of a series right now called From Jacob to Israel. Um, and the reason I really like this series um, is because I think it, it's it's refreshing to understand some things about uh, the, the biblical narratives that we, we maybe have heard before but not understood. There's kind of a, a popular misunderstanding when it comes to the stories in the Bible. And it goes something like this. That a lot of us, we view the scriptures as this sort of divine book on how to be a good person. Right, so like we open the pages and we're like, okay, here's it's a bunch of stories and these examples. I should probably emulate them. Like these, the Bible is a story of just like good people, and and so I should just look at what they did and do that. And that's just such a profound misunderstanding of the stories in the Bible. And the reason it's so it's so like just like I mean, there are some cases where okay, yeah, emulate their behavior, but by and large, the vast, vast, vast majority of the stories that we read in there are of just deeply flawed human beings. I mean, just really, really broken people, like people who do not get it, people who are full of sin, who are full of like all kinds of evil and and these types of things. And what you find again and again as you read these stories is it's not a story of how good people are. It's a story of how good God is. And it's a story of, okay, listen, God intervening in the lives of people and changing them, saving them, transforming them, shaping them, and just doing all kinds of things where God redeems the people who are far from him and makes them live a life worth living. And I think this is important because for many of us, we come to these stories and we assume that God, like the way we've been presenting God, that God would never want us. Right? Like, like we get like the holy people, we get like the, like the people who have it all together, but you, me, uh, and, and yet, and yet as we read these stories for ourselves, we find, okay, actually, you know, these are stories of a just tremendously great God showing kindness where it's undeserved. And it's true for you and it's true for me as well. These stories are our stories. So let me set this up a little bit before we dig into the, into the Bible today. If you've got a Bible, uh, we're not going to go there yet, but you can open up to Genesis 27 is where we're going to be. So here's the thing to understand. Like thus far, we, we've looked at the beginning of the life of this guy named Jacob who would go on to be called Israel from whom the people of Israel are uh, descended. Uh, Jacob, when he arrives on the scene, he's one of two twins, right? And so you've got his, his technically firstborn older brother Esau, who's this kind of like man's man, you know, like if he was alive today, he'd be crushing beer cans on his head. Like that guy, you know, we're like, and his dad absolutely loves Esau, but Jacob is, is he's content to stay at home. He doesn't go out and hunt. He's kind of in the tents. We said like, you know, if he were alive today, he'd probably be playing video games in his parents' basement. Like he's that guy, all right? And, 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 and what you find is, okay, listen, like their entire lives, Jacob and Esau, there's a little bit of a rivalry where, where, where Esau, because he's the firstborn, he's the son who has it all together, he's good looking, he's strong. Okay, because Esau has grown up this way, Jacob just looks at this in his entire life and he envies his brother. And here's his brother who's been promised the blessings of God because he's the firstborn in the family. It's through him that, that heritage and legacy should come and you should find all these great things. But Esau doesn't care a whole lot. And so one day what Jacob does is he deceives his brother. 
And he goes, all right, because Jacob, his name means uh, like deceiver. Fun fact. All right, so what he does is he tricks his brother out of his birthright, and he gets his brother to sell him his birthright for a cup of stew. And we talked about this last week. Because like, what are our cups of stew? What are those things where we trade the good blessings that we have for something that ultimately is worthless and doesn't really matter? But now some time has gone on in our story. And so that's happened, but, but listen, but Jacob is not done taking from Esau. And, okay, and his behavior, listen, it's really, really not to be commended. In fact, we're going to watch the story of a guy today who basically involves in a scam to deceive the elderly. Like, that's, that's what's going to happen. Like, it's not something that you're supposed to emulate. But what we're going to see is this, listen, Jacob's heart's really good. His character and his methodology are not. Like, what he wants is good. He wants to be blessed by God. He wants to know the Lord. He wants to walk in that. But because he's a liar, because he's a trickster, because he's selfish, all these things aren't going to work out well for him. We're going to see God break that down in the coming weeks. But our story picks up today as Jacob decides, listen, like my perfect brother, let me see if I can get more from him. So in Genesis 27, starting in verse 1, it says this. When Isaac, that's their dad, was old, and his eyes were so weak that he could no longer see, he called for Esau, his older son. And said to him, my son, here I am, he answered. It continues. Isaac said, I am now an old man and don't know the day of my death. So, you know, Isaac, kind of a buzzkill, but he continues. All right, now then, get your equipment, your quiver and bow, and go out to the open country to hunt some wild game for me. Prepare me, he says. Prepare me the kind of tasty food I like and bring it to me to eat so that I may give you my blessing before I die. And we're going to pause here for a moment. Okay, so here, here's just kind of what's happening. Isaac, he's laying on his bed. He's going blind. His senses are becoming dulled. And he's like, listen, basically just give me my last meal. Like we're gonna have this, this big feast where like prop me up. I'll eat really well and then I'll bless you. Okay, I'll give you sort of my goodbye. Now here's the thing to understand about what Isaac is saying to Esau. It's that it's not customary. Here's what I mean. Okay, so Isaac recognized like he thinks he's gonna die even though it'll be another 10 years before he does. Fun fact. But, but he goes, listen, because I'm going to die, Esau, my firstborn, let me bless you, even though the firstborn rights have gone to Jacob. And the way that he says he's going to bless Esau is really, really breaking culture of their day. You see, what should happen is this. What Isaac, if he really believes this is the end, he's going to bless uh, and, and you know, further that in his family, what he should do is gather all of his children together. That's what should happen. What should happen is it should be both Jacob and Esau. It should be them there with him. And then he goes, listen, Esau, I'm going to give this to you. Jacob, I'm going to give this to you. But the fact that he doesn't call for Jacob tells us something about Isaac. And here's what it is. That he doesn't want Jacob. That like when it comes down to their relationship, Jacob is not even worth his time. He doesn't, like maybe he's bitter towards Jacob deceiving his brother. Maybe it's that he never really connected with Jacob and he was always about like the, the manly man, but here's this little runt and that's not really for him or what have you. But for whatever reason, it's this dad who doesn't want his son. I mean, culture, that's all about what we're finding right there. And I think it bears just like for a pause for us as, as a people who come from broken homes, who like, like given the, the world that we live in right now, how many of you like you had a strange relationship with your father if any right and so maybe for you like like you had a dad that you just never connected with either emotionally or physically like maybe he was never there okay and, and what you tend to do is, is like you try to compensate for it or maybe even develop a little bit of a bitterness towards God I've heard that story a lot as I sit down with, with, with a number of you where you say man listen, let me just be honest like when I hear you talk about God the father that's really hard for me because of what I experienced with my earthly dad and, and I, I'm sure you know, I hear you, 
And here's the thing that you have to understand about the God of the Bible, and we're going to see it in this story, is that, okay, you may have had an earthly dad fail you. You may have had an earthly dad who didn't want you, but it is not true of your heavenly dad. In fact, you may have had a man fail you on this earth, but God is still good. God still loves you, and God will still be there for you. In fact, one of the titles that we find for God in the Bible, in the book of Psalms, chapter 68, verse 5, is this. He's called a father to the fatherless. And I want you to know that today. If you've had a dad who wasn't a dad to you, if you've had a man who wasn't there for you, and, and you're just like, gosh, and it affects your worth, that affects how you view yourself, I want you to understand that God, your good heavenly father, wants to be a good heavenly father to you, even if someone on this earth has failed you. And we're going to see that in the story of Jacob now. So, so here's, here's, here's the thing. So, so he says, Esau, go, get, like, go hunting, bring me back some food. Now, oh, we'll go, we'll go. so here's what happens next. So Rebecca, who's Isaac's wife, their mother, was listening as Isaac spoke to his son Esau. And when Esau left for the open country to hunt game and bring it back, Rebecca said to her son, Jacob, look, I overheard your father say to your brother Esau, Bring me some game and prepare me some tasty food so that I may give you my blessing in the presence of the Lord before I die. Now, my son, listen carefully and do what I tell you. And so, hey, happy Mother's Day. We're going to learn how Jacob learned to be a liar. Mom. So, all right. So, all right. So, all right. Okay. So, look. Sorry. Go, <laughs> go out to the flock. And bring me two choice young goats so I can prepare some tasty food for your father just the way he likes it. Then, she says, then take it to your father to eat so that he may give you his blessing before he dies. So let's just pause here, okay? Level of deceiver, epic, right? That basically he's willing to trick his dying father to get what he wants. But see, here's the thing. Jacob is pretty good at lying, and so in this sort of Ocean's Eleven-style heist, he recognizes the flaw. And here's what it is, okay? And so he says in verse 11, Jacob said to Rebekah, his mother, and it's not, Mom, how dare we do this to him? No, no, here's what he says, but my brother Esau is a hairy man. <laughs> well, I have smooth skin. So, Mom, the problem isn't the character and morality of what you're saying. It's that I have smooth skin, Esau is hairy, Dad's going to know the jig is up, but so he says this, so what if, father, what if my father touches me? I would appear to be tricking him and would bring down a curse on myself rather than a blessing. Uh, but Rebecca's got a plan. So his mother said to him, my son, let the curse fall on me. Now, there's a the heart of a mom right there, right? Let it come down on me, not you. Just do what I say. Also the heart of a mom. And go and get them for me. Now let's pause here, okay? Let's pause. So basically here's what she's saying. Listen, even if he curses you, even if the jig is up, May the curse that he would bring on you fall on me. And we might be like, okay, this is kind of superstitious and weird. Like what in the world? So it's here, that I think for us to best understand the story, we, we've got to just get something when it comes to Old Testament thought, okay? It's this, that when it comes to, to the, the, the Hebrew scriptures and also in the New Testament, one of the things that you find is that words hold a lot of meaning and power. Now for us, not so much. Like for us, we kinda, we'll just kind of say whatever we want, and then we're just like, as long as we, as we say, I'm sorry, it's fine, right? So I mean, I, I, mean, I knew this in, like in grade school. I had a friend, his name was Chris, right? And Chris would do this deal where every, every day we'd be sitting at the lunch table, and he'd be like, hey man, your mom stinks, and you're ugly, and your family's worthless, and da 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 And then he would end up like smiling on his face, and then he would always end it same sentence. He would just go, sorry though, man, sorry, I'm just kidding, right? And it's like he knew that he shouldn't say that, but he still said it. 
And it was kind of this like thing where I'll just say it doesn't ultimately matter. But one of the things that you find in the scripture is this. Your words matter so much that basically the, the Hebrew thought would be this, that as you're speaking them, you're actually bringing something into existence. Like, like that when, you're word, like when you give words, it's not just that air exits your mouth. You're actually creating something in front of you. I mean, think about it. So if you go way, way back to Genesis 1, you remember how God creates the world? It's that he speaks, right? I mean, that, that's, that's when the world is. God said, and it was so. And the same is true for, for us. Like the, 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 the thought would be this, that as we speak, we are creating things. So, and so if, if Isaac speaks a blessing, it's not as simple as him just being like, well, I didn't mean it and undo it. It doesn't work that way. In the same way, Rebecca preemptively is getting in front of it and going, listen, if you know, he curses you, listen, may it fall on me. So she's got in front of it. So if he were to do that, it wouldn't work. Now, you might be like, that's a little superstitious. And maybe that's, you know, as Westerners, that's sort of hard for us to wrap our head around or even think about. We go, isn't that kind of immature that people speak things? No, like all of us, whether you're a believer or not, you recognize the power of words. Why is it some of the deepest cuts of your life were not from what people did, but from what people said like what is there's there's a power there it's why jesus says this in matthew 12 36 he says but i tell you that everyone will have to give an account on the day of judgment for every empty word they have spoken meaning not just the stuff where you know you were under oath and lots of people were seeing and there was like a big defining moment jesus would say every single word that you've uttered you're going to give an account to god for That's how powerful our words are. That's how heavy our words were. That should make us just pause and really reflect on the things that we say and maybe invest in some bars of soap to wash our mouths out uh, if we, you know, say some stuff we shouldn't. Just saying. So anyway, our story continues in Genesis 27, verse 14. So So Jacob, he went and got them, meaning he got the goats and brought them to his mother, and she prepared some tasty food just the way that his father liked it. And then Rebecca took the best clothes of Esau, her older son, which she had in the house, and put them on her younger son, Jacob. She also, and this, is, this is ruthless, okay? She also covered his hands and the smooth part of his neck with the goat skin. So she covers it up with fur, right? So I'm, I identify with that. So look, um, then she handed to her son Jacob the tasty food and bread she had made. Now for the sake of time, let me sort of paraphrase what happens next. So Jacob goes into his dad's tent, and his dad, who's going blind, is like, you know, who are you? And Jacob goes, I'm your older son, Esau. And Isaac's like, well, I mean, you smell like Esau because of the clothes, but you sound like Jacob. And so Jacob comes forward, and, and, and Isaac's like, wait, 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 how, how did you get food so fast? I mean, you were supposed to go hunting. How did you have it back so quickly, right? And, and so Jacob, he blasphemes. I mean, you talk about the type of people that, that God chooses to save and forgive. Like, Jacob lies about God. He goes, well, the Lord your God provided the food for me, and so I had it, and I, I brought it to you, right? And so then Isaac goes, well, come here, come here. And so he feels Jacob's arms, and he feels the, the hair, and he goes, it is Esau. And so he gives them this blessing to end all blessings. I mean, it's basically holding nothing back. When you, when you get the context of it, he's basically saying, listen, like, may you lord over the rest of our family. May everybody else serve you. May you be blessed with riches. May you be blessed with prosperity. I mean, just on and on. Like, like every good thing that we have to our name, basically, may it come to you. I mean, just on and on and on because he thinks, all right, it's Esau. He's not going to hold anything back for this other kid that he doesn't like, Jacob. It's just, here you go, here you go, here you go. Although he never gives a name. Just you. He never says Jacob. He never says Esau. Just you. May you have this. May you have this. And so Jacob is blessed by his father. And now our story 
gets even more fun. So check this out, verse 30, jump on down. After Isaac had finished blessing him, and Jacob had scarcely left his father's presence, his brother Esau came in from hunting. So basically, you know, the, the tent flap is barely closed, and in walks Esau from the other door. Like, so, oh man, what's going to happen? And so he says, it says this, he, pre- he too prepared some tasty food and brought it to his father. Then he said to him, my father, please sit up and eat some of my game so that you may give me your blessing. But his father Isaac asked him, well, who are you? I'm your son, he answered, your firstborn, Esau. Now look at this next line. This is epic. When Isaac, or Isaac trembled violently, so he hears it, what? Right? <laughs> no, but he's so upset, like he's shaking as, a, as an old man. And said, well, then who, who was it then that hunted game and brought it to me? I ate it just before you came and blessed him. And indeed, he will be blessed. It's not simple as, okay, I didn't mean it. I meant it for someone else. No, it's already been spoken out. It says, it says this, when Esau heard his father's words, manly Esau, he burst out with a loud and bitter cry and said to his father, bless me, me too, my father. But he said, your brother came deceitfully and took your blessing. And Esau said, well, isn't it right that he is named Jacob? Because again, Jacob means deceiver. Like, doesn't he just live up to that? This is the second time he has taken advantage of me. He took my birthright, and now he's taken my blessing. And so now we begin to see Esau becoming desperate. And so he says, says, haven't you reserved any blessing for me? And Isaac, Isaac knows what's been done. So Isaac answered him, and I've made him lord over you. I spoke it. And have made all his relatives his servants. And I have sustained him with grain and new wine. So what can I possibly do for you, my son? Meaning, I've given him everything. I've held nothing back. How could I possibly bless you? But Esau said, well, look, I mean, do you only have one blessing? The answer is yes. Bless me too, my father. And it says, then Esau wept aloud. Esau now realizes it's all gone. What will he do? And, and so our story sort of continues. Let me, let me paraphrase it. Basically what happens is this. Now Jacob realizes, oh man, I'm going to finally be blessed. But rightfully so, some bitterness seeps into Esau. And he begins to go like, man, I've lost everything. Is there any way I can get it back? And so he begins to plot within his heart. You know what I'll do? I'll wait for dad to die. And then I'll kill Jacob. And this will serve me in a couple of ways. Number one, if Jacob is supposed to inherit the blessings and promises of our family, if he's dead, he can't have them. It'll go back to me. Two, it'll feel really good. So, so he just begins to plot. Okay, like, I'm just going to wait. And once dad is gone, I'm going to kill my brother. I'm going to wring him with my, my, my bare hands. It's going to be great. But, but their mom, knowing them, catches wind of this. And so she goes to Jacob and she goes, listen, you got to go, man. You've got to go right now. Listen, I can't bear losing my husband and my son at the same time. Like, you need to get out of here. Go stay with my relatives far away. Maybe you'll meet a girl and get, and get married from our, our kin. I don't know. But listen, you've got to go. Go, go, go right now. And so here's Jacob. And now just think about if you're him and how scary this would be, all right? And think about, like, basically what you're losing. So if your entire life, like, you've been desiring and just wanting that blessing of God, you're supposed to be the patriarch. You're now supposed to be the one who takes over the family. But now you're being told, listen, you've got to go and you've got to leave it all behind. How devastating that would be. All right, listen, all he wanted was the blessing, but now he is losing everything. Like not, nothing to his name. Flee for your life. Even the family relationships that he had now, gone. 
You would be devastated. You'd be like, why did I even do it? Because he has nothing to his name. In fact, the author of Genesis goes out of his way to show you how much Jacob loses. So he flees for his life. He goes to try and get to his uncle Laban's house. And on the way, here's what it tells us in Genesis 28. It says this, when Jacob left Beersheba and sat down in Haran, when he reached a certain place, he stopped for the night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones there, he put it under his head and lay down to sleep. Meaning Jacob has lost everything so much he doesn't even have a pillow. He's got a rock to sleep on. Like, I mean, you talk about just absolute desperation and destitute, and this is what we find here. He has lost it all, and you could not be brought any lower. And it's here that you would expect that Jacob would be like, man, I missed out on the blessings of God. I mean, I, I'm away from my people. I'm away from my home. I'm away from all this stuff that I've been promised. And blessed. maybe God failed me. Maybe my father's word. I'm not sure. But I've lost it all. God could not be further from me. And yet, as he falls asleep, he begins to discover something. Not only, not only is he right on track, he's exactly where he should be. Look at this. And so it says this. He had a dream in which he saw a stairway resting on the earth with its top reaching to heaven. And the angels of God were ascending and descending. And I was pause here. Um, how do you guys remember, don't raise your hand, but like several weeks ago when we talked about the Tower of Babel, right? we talked about this thing, like these ancient structures in the ancient Near East called ziggurats. Remember that, right? We talked about how it sounds like a weird uh, like vape pen, but basically what it was, basically what it was was like people were, they were trying to connect the heavens to the earth, right? So like they would build these tall towers to think, okay, like we'll ascend to the div- divine and the divine will come down through here. That ziggurats were basically imitating this type of idea where in the ancient Near East, the belief was not that like God was just kind of everywhere. They believed that the way heaven touched down on earth was through specific points. Now that's not true in, within this, the scope of biblical theology. That certainly isn't accurate. But one of the things that we find throughout the scriptures is that there are times where God will speak to people right where they are and not correct them. You'll find like God, he'll intervene in places and even though somebody's got bad theology, he'll still speak through it and use it. And this is one of those times where, okay, Jacob growing up in ancient Canaan, he had this belief, okay, there are specific places where gods would intervene in the world and, and, the, and the divine would touch down in the earthly. And so he falls asleep and he realizes, I'm exactly at the stairway of God. I'm where God comes down into the earth. I'm where heaven and earth meet. It's, it's this specific place. It's not just everywhere. It's okay, this is where the sort of, you know, if there are other dimensions and the supernatural is a different dimension, this is where that dimension invades into this one. It's a specific place. It's why, hey, fun fact for you, if you flash forward to the New Testament, one of the very first things that Jesus says about himself in John 151, he tells, he tells this guy named Nathaniel, he says, very truly I tell you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. I mean, just like Jacob's stairway or Jacob's ladder, you're going to see angels going up into heaven and down into heaven on me. In other words, what Jesus is saying is this, I'm where heaven and earth meet. Like, I am where the plan of God unfolds. I am where God invades creation. So what's the idea here? Check this out. You just need to know this. This is awesome, okay? So here's Jacob. Not yet. Here's Jacob. (laughs) Here's Jacob, all right? And he believes... He believes that he is outside of the plan of God. He believes that he has lost everything. And yet what we find is this, that he could not be more in the plan of God. That he isn't just like, God isn't just aware of him. He's exactly where God invades the earth. I mean, he is at the epicenter of God's activity on the earth. And here's why I think this is important for us. Because for how many of us, when it comes down to it, we believe that if our life takes what we call a detour, that means that we've somehow gone off from God's plan. 
Like for many of us, we look at our lives and our lives have not gone the way that we thought that they would. You know, so like, okay, I, I'm going through life and, you know, my mom got sick, so I had to move back, I had to get over here, or, you know, I, I made this bad decision, I lost everything, or this happened to me, and therefore God isn't there, God isn't good. And we, and we, we just don't quite understand that there are no detours, that we, are, that we are going exactly where we're supposed to go, which is why if you're taking notes, write this down. You are not, just know this, you are not where you plan to be, but you are exactly where you're supposed to be. Can I just say that again? Because that reaction tells me you didn't get it. So let me just say it again. All right. You are not where you plan to be, but you are exactly where you're supposed to be. I don't know every person here, but the thing that I know about every person here is this. Your life hasn't gone the way you planned it. And you would be tempted to go, oh man, like, does God know? Does God care? Is, am, am I, like, what do I even do now? But here's the thing to understand. That we serve a sovereign God whose plans cannot be thwarted. You are not where you plan to be, but you're exactly where you're supposed to be. There may have been a breaking involved, and you might be like, well, well, I don't understand that because, like, shouldn't my life go smoother? Shouldn't I have not had this happen if God was with me? Because we have a misunderstanding here in, in the West, and here's what it is. We think that if God is with us, that means it'll all be smooth sailing. But understand something. Listen, that God being with us does not mean that things will be easy. Like, can I say it again? Like, we think, okay, like, you know, if God is walking with me, that should make it so that nothing ever goes wrong in my life. But don't you understand that it's precisely because things are going wrong that you need him with you? <laughs> you know, so you look at your life, you're like, oh, man, I did this, therefore God could never. Or this happened and God was uninterested. But no, no, you are exactly where you're supposed to be. And what we're going to find in the life of Jacob is this. Okay, he, he's in the epicenter of God's activity even though you wouldn't expect him to be. And from here out in the story and in the coming weeks, we're going to see this. God begins to systematically break him apart. God doesn't make Jacob's life without pain. He brings a tremendous amount on him. Like the deceiver will be deceived. The, the, the guy who's all about the blessings loses all of them. Like we'll see this again and again and again. And what God is doing is this. He's breaking him apart to form him to become the man that he should be. Because listen, like sometimes there are heart issues that aren't like solved with a quick just attitude adjustment. You know, okay, maybe I was like this and all right, I'll just recognize my blessings a little bit better. Okay, sometimes maybe. But other times the only way that you will change is that God has just got to tear you to shreds, man. In the nicest way possible. Like if I, if I could put it like this. Um, so my wife and I, when we first moved into our house, one of the things that we found in the house was this. Around the fireplace, there was some of the ugliest tile work imaginable. Like the, like the previous owner had, you know, like mortared up these tiles, like to the, to the point, I mean, and they were like nasty. Some of them had like, like Native American gods on them, like just like really weird hand-painted stuff like all around my fireplace. And so I'm like, I'm not leaving that there. And so we decided we're going to take it down. Well, fun fact for you, that's not as simple as just like a peel and stick. <laughs> it's, it's, it's not without pain. Like the only way to get those things down that had set themselves up were like with, with chisel and breaking crap off. I mean, like it's really like loud and angry and just, demolition smashing things apart and then you've got to like go through re-drywall there and all something like it's it's really really like brutal but here's the thing okay do you understand that when it comes to your heart and mind there are things that set themselves up in here that the only way they come down is through pain and the only way they come down is through breaking and god your good loving heavenly father loves you enough to break you and so here's jacob okay listen if he's going to be the forebearer of the blessings of god if through him 
The, the Messiah will even come into the earth, and that will be his line. Okay. Then in order for him to become a man of faith, it starts with God systematically breaking him apart. So no, listen, God being with you does not mean that things will always be easy, and we will see that again and again in this story and also in the story of Joseph later on. But our story today continues in verse 13. So Jacob looks up, and there above that, that stairway stood the Lord. And he said, I am the Lord, the God of your father, Abraham. And the God of Isaac, remember how Jacob would grow up and he would hear these stories and it was, it was God never for him, right? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Esau. But now listen to this. <laughs> I'm the God of Abraham and Isaac. And you, Jacob, let's go back for one sec. I will give you and your descendants the land on which you're lying. Jacob, you thought you had nothing to your name. That very ground that you stand on is gonna belong to you. Wow. Your descendants, he says. Your descendants. We have it? There we go will be like the dust of the earth and you will spread out to the west and to the east, to the north and the south. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. And Jacob, just something I want you to know. I'm with you. Look at this, I'm with you. Well, but, but I, I have nothing and, and, and I'm going through heartache and my brother's trying to kill me and, and it just seems like I've lost everything. And God goes, yeah, yeah, but I'm with you. I'm with you, and I will watch over you wherever you go, and I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. And do you know that that same God is yours? The Bible says, listen, that the one who began the good work in you will see it through to its completion in the day of Christ Jesus. Do you understand, listen, to to, to borrow an old slogan, and it's cheesy, but it's true. If you're not dead, God's not done. And some of you, like, you think, well, like, okay, but, but it just seems like it's, it's not the way that I wanted it to be. Yeah, it rarely ever is. But it doesn't mean he's not there. And some of you, like, you think, okay, well, but I messed up one too many times because you have this belief, uh, like a misunderstanding of the God of the Bible where you think God only blesses good people. But rarely is that the case. In fact, what you find is that the people God butts heads with are those who think they deserve his blessing. God loves jacked up people. And if you're willing to acknowledge that, let them show you how much. Here's the deal for you and me. All of us, while we were at our furthest from God, when God was an afterthought to us, when we had no concern for if we should follow him, if we should walk with him or whatever, while we were furthest from God, he sent his son Jesus. His love for you and me is so great that Jesus took the penalty for your sins and mine. He died in our place to make us right with God. And so that you can know that's true, God the Father raised him from the dead. The tomb is empty. You can have a new life just as Jesus breathes anew. And so today, if you would say you don't know Jesus, if you would say you don't have the access to God that's only found through Christ, maybe you've been religious, maybe you've known this stuff for a while, okay, but do you know Christ? If you don't, you can. And you can't earn it. It's free. All you can do is receive it. And so if you want to begin a relationship with Jesus today, or maybe you walked away and you want to come back, okay, I want you to pray with me. And here's what we're going to pray. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Heavenly Father, thank you for loving me. God, this is hard for me to say, um, but I've sinned. I've messed up. 
I've known good things. I've chosen not to do them. And I'm sorry. But I believe that you sent Jesus to forgive me. That Jesus died in my place so that I can have life with you. And I believe he rose from the dead so that I can begin a new life with you. So that my past can be wiped away and I can become a new person. So Lord, in this moment, I'm handing my life over to you. Please fill me with your spirit. Please show me how to follow you. Thank you for what you've done. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen.